0: One-week season. Welcome to the OWS Week in Review Show. I am your host, Todd Burroughs. And I will be joined in a few minutes by a man whose winnings yesterday were exactly the same as the amount of points that the Seahawks put up and still managed to lose less money than me, and we will debate the meaning of life, what is an an existential crisis, whether it's true that when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and last but not least, whether or not the phrase goodbye cruel world is too much of a cliche. But now, first, let me introduce a man whose favorite Star Wars character is Luke Skywalker. Wait, oh, I read that wrong. Oh, yeah, obviously it's Han Solo. (laughs) Mark Garcia, AKA high low, the man. How you doing brother? Oh
1: man. I mean, I'm doing physically well. I'm doing emotionally pretty poor.
0: <laughs> it has been rough. Um, and I made an opening to the podcast that hopefully everyone will enjoy and set the mood and the tone for the week.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I know we're we're not going to get into results, but I just have to be fully transparent. And I, I, transparent. Think at, I think. Point, <laughs> I think at
0: this point, I think at this point, I I think that we are entitled to um, commiserate and uh, start with the ending, so to speak.
1: This week marked the first time in my DFS career, so about five six years of playing DFS uh, on the NFL and this week marked the first week in my entire career that I failed to cash a single lineup in consecutive weeks. Absolutely insane. Um, My, my single entry lineup put up 132 points, missed the cash by four points. It's just, nothing is going my way right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I don't even know what to say at this point, um, but um, I am on like a nine week losing streak, and I've never gone more than let's say four weeks in the past of losing, and it's like one of those horror movies from the eighties where you know the plot, you know what's going to happen, but you just can't get out of the way. It's like every week I start out, you know, somewhere from good to whatever. And I, I I I'm, you know, at that three quarters of the my money that you would expect to be, you know, when you take out the rake. Um and then by the end of the first game, it's, you know, I'm down to about 25% of the money. And I've got all but I've got all these outs, right? I've got so much late. And every week, none of the late games that I have goes off. And you know, I I, I'm, I won't say I'm out of answers, because I, I do have one or two things I can correct. But in general, it is just, uh, it, it it's just beyond words, um how things have gone so far this year.
1: Yeah, let's, I'll take that as a lead into process, because um, a lot of what you're referring to is kind of rooted around our process. And Like It would be one thing if we were sitting here and we're like, dude, I'm making consistent errors on roster construction because that is what is going to be the highest contributing factor um, from a sustained profitability standpoint. Um, Actually, over the last three weeks, this week, I made probably the biggest error, I think, in my process. And that was... Basically, at the beginning of the week, I identified that running back was the position to generate the most leverage. That led into the three running back um, idea that I laid on the table this week. Um, That in and of itself was a highly, highly profitable endeavor this week. However, once we had all this running back value start appearing, I basically came to the conclusion that a three pay down running back roster was going to be insane leverage this week. We had all, you know, the top, the five to six top guys uh, priced at the running back position, all generated, you know, aggregate high levels of ownership, which we expected coming in. So I started the week. Well, I say the week for me, the lineup building process starts after I finish the edge write up. So my the start of my lineup building process week is typically thursday evening so you know as i'm watching football i'm tinkering with rosters and and building construction and, and seeing what fits and seeing what works and what doesn't i started that process with the ernest johnson mark ingram and so i guess this was friday morning because that the uh the news for Kamara didn't come out until Friday. So I started that process with Dearness Johnson, Mark Ingram, and Devin Singletary.
0: So the you're saying guys, Kamara, Kamara, it's only a day away? Yes, it's 100% what I'm saying. It's I Just checking. Yeah, love. So
1: I loved where my thought process and my, my process led me to generate leverage this week. That said, once Zach Moss was cleared protocol on Saturday and was going to play this weekend, my overall lineup building process shifted to one pay up and two pay down running backs with Jernis Johnson, Mark Ingram, and Jonathan Taylor. So all those guys put up fires, right? They all basically provided the four X that we're looking for um, with Jonathan Taylor, just coming short of that. Fast forward until Saturday evening into Sunday morning with the um, with the news of Ramondre Stevenson. When that happened, I did not process that information enough, you know, with Damian Harris being ruled out to consider Ramondre a viable standalone piece. And what I mean by that is I was viewing him as simply a pivot off of the high expected ownership of Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram to me was the higher floor play. And I knew that I would be differentiated elsewhere to the point where I never considered a three pay down running back roster of Dearness Johnson, Mark Ingram and Ramondre Stevenson, because I was looking at it as an either or of Ramondre or Ingram Ingram, the better on paper play Ramondre as
0: the leverage slash pivot option. So that I'm going to jump in because I I, I get what you're saying, uh, but you know, and I'm certainly willing to criticize you. I've I've done it enough this year. <laughs> I I I think Ramondre was a little thin for a single entry, uh, and maybe even three entry. And the reason is, you know, they, there was still Brandon Bolden and J.J. Taylor, and the the Patriots had shown nothing to give you the sense that they trusted him enough to, you know, really feel that there was a floor there, right? I think he was a great GPP play. I had 12%. Um, The optimizer even wanted a little more. I probably, if I hadn't tweaked, it would have ended up with 18% in Ramondre. And I love Ramondre. I mean, he was one of my big season-long guys that you draft in the 15th, 16th, 17th round. That's a pure dart throw that you're hoping at running back, right? Um, But I really – if it was me, Mark, I wouldn't kick myself about it because I don't think there was enough clarity that he was going to get nearly the workload of an Ingram or a Dearness. My counterpoint to that would be what –
1: is that the running back situation in New England – is very highly dependent on game flow, right? So if we were to insert Damian Harris with a three-man expected Patriots backfield in an extremely positive game scenario, game environment for the Patriots, we should have expected 18 to 22 running back opportunities for Damian Harris with heavy, heavy red zone involvement, right? So that would have been like enough for me because of the leverage that that three player stack generated, because two of those running backs are from the same game. So, like, I wouldn't have had to worry about ownership anywhere else just from starting from that point. And those are kind of the angles that I'm looking for based on the macro leverage perspective. So, like, yeah, it was a thinner play than the other two running backs, but not allowing myself to consider both Ramondre and D'Ernest from the same game, I think was a big. A big mistake from how I approach slates.
0: All right. Fair enough. Um, le- let me ask you, there were four clear spots for expected fantasy production, the Bucks, the Colts, the Bills, and the Cowboys. Um, the Bucks obviously was the one that we, I you know, I hate to say touting, but um, th- that most of the experts on OWS were, were really, um, thinking was the best play, and obviously that didn't work. Carson Wentz completely shit the bed. Uh, Josh Allen had a very, you know, the Bills did everything we thought they would do, but they, you know, they did it in a way where I don't know that any Bill put up a must- have. Well, Diggs had a good Diggs. Yeah. Matt Breida, um, dude. <laughs> yeah, of What's course. And, and and And, you know, the Cowboys were too efficient. You know, we here's one thing where our process was correct. We did recommend that you didn't have to bring back a falcon with, um, with the Cowboys stack, and and as it turned out, that was the right move there. But mm-hmm. in general, the best plays. This was a week where the best plays didn't really go off. Um, you know, Devonte Adams. Uh, under Mike Evans, under Dan Arnold. I I don't know exactly where he finished, but it wasn't something you had to have. Um, So it wasn't that the chalk went, but I think that we all as a site really felt like there were two good counter spots to those four teams. And I still think they were great plays the Vikings and the chargers had low ownership and a 53 point total. And Aaron Rogers and Russell Wilson had a 50 point total and microscopic ownership. And that this is what hurts. And this is the whole goodbye cruel world thing is, you know, you do need a little luck, right? Uh, th- th- uh games are heavily owned for a reason. Uh, but this year, the sharp play hasn't hit once yet. And, you know, I made that joke about you having as much cash as the Seattle points, but I don't think anyone had the, the Seahawks getting shut out on their bingo card.
1: No, not at all. I'm watching that game uh, or the, the condensed version of that game, um, Russell Wilson, is that finger is bothering him
0: uh for sure yeah, he, he couldn't throw the ball i agree. No.
1: yeah um, but i also i highlighted um in the early bets uh article that came out this morning how surprising this green bay defense has been you know over the last 5 weeks they i think or less going back to their game their overtime game against cincinnati was the most points that they had surrendered in a game and that was 22 over a 6 week time frame so that's pretty impressive how this uh heavy zone defense of the Packers is, is shaping up.
0: So I, the, the next, uh, leverage spot I want to talk about is something that I, you and I both came to on our own, and that is the three running back rosters. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time it came for me to make my rosters, I, I, had, my plan was to go almost a hundred percent. You know, unless a stack really needed four wide receivers to be, you know, a, a, a option for the um, optimizer, my plan was to go three running backs all the way. But as I listened to ETR and I listened to some other things as we headed towards the end there on Twitter, I I felt like the field had was going to do the same thing. So I still had a lot of three running back rosters, but I didn't make it an exclusive rule uh, in most of my runs. Your thoughts on, you know, what is turning out to be a much sharper field than historic. Historic. Yeah. Historically. Yeah. History. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. People aren't as dumb as they used to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That goes into the discussion that we've had on the Saturday podcast uh, multiple times this year. And if this is if you're listening to this and this is your first introduction, these are the kind of things that we are talking about on that Saturday podcast. So if you like what you hear here, definitely you know, get inner circle and check this thing out because there's nothing else like it around the industry. That being said, a little shameless plug there the The field is improving. And how I like to describe it is three levels of game theory application. So level one is like people know, have heard of game theory, but they don't know how to apply the tenets of game theory in actual roster construction. Like level two game theory would be what I think the field is at right now. And they're understanding that, you know, the NFL is a highly variant sport and we need to consider that when we are building rosters. So you hear a lot of, you see a lot of around the industry now talking, moving the discussion from pivots to like, how do we actually capitalize on fading X player? And how does, how do we build a roster around that idea? Like what happens if this player fails, what is the outcome of that? So as the field starts to understand that we start seeing these places this year where we're expecting ownership to be low. And then we see once kickoff comes that, you know, a player that we had seen projected for 5% ownership is all the way up at like 22, 23%. And that is a direct, I think, indication that the field is becoming much more sharp. Um, Now, how do we counter that? Well, thinking about game theory and game theory explaining it in its like most simple sense is taking a prescribed game under prescribed rules understanding what the field is doing to attack that game and then formulating a plan to counterbalance that approach so if we can then understand now through game theory application that the field is becoming smarter on generating leverage we can then like counterbalance that approach and generate leverage in a different way. And that's what some of these things that we're trying to explore this season is how do we take, how do we understand what the field is doing and still put ourselves in a, in the best position to remain profitable if the field is improving in their game. So all of that being said, I still loved the 3 running back roster with the understanding if you looked at combined ownership at the running back position uh, heading into the weekend it was somewhere like 240 250%. So we know that you know 30 to 40% of the field was going to have three running back rosters and that is up from earlier in the season where it was down to like 20%. So we knew that the field was still going to utilize that approach at a higher rate this week but for me like because there was such little floor on the slate, like the clear top floor plays from a cost per a point per dollar perspective were Dearness Johnson and Mark Ingram. And like that was it was not debatable. That was it. So I was figuring out, is the field likely to play both of them on the same roster? If so, how do I counter counterbalance that? Well, I'm likely to enter three running back rosters. And I settled on a high ownership of uh, Jonathan Taylor, Derns Johnson and Mark Ingram. And that still wasn't enough because I was so heavy, heavily invested in the Tampa Bay passing attack.
0: Yeah, um, it kind of reminded me what you when you were talking of that famous scene from The Princess Bride where Vizzini goes, you only think I guessed strong. That's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. Ha ha, you fool you fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But only slightly what's known is never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. ha ha ha
1: ha. That was really freaking good. Holy shit. And what a movie. I love that movie. <laughs> I think the first time I saw that movie, it was like um, my dad forcing me to watch it because I was homesick from school, like the intro to the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like the kid. I was like, "Why am I going to watch a, a movie about princesses and brides, dude?" Like, Dad, what are you doing? I was, I was into
0: like, "To me too," and I except I was thirty, and it was <laughs> another thirty-year-old trying to talk me into this movie, and uh, you know that same anyway. That same I, uh, thing I, happened I, with Phantom. Sorry,
1: we 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 need we need a little comedy here. But that same thing happened uh, with the Phantom of the Opera. My dad's like, you need to go to me with me to see this, the show Phantom of the Opera. I was like, dad, I'm not like, I'm like 13. Like I'm dad, I'm not going to go see Phantom of the Opera. Like, why do I want to go watch an opera? Um, And then finally the movie came out and I watched the movie. I was like, fine, dad, I'll watch the movie with you. And I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I still haven't seen that movie. Oh, dude, it is so good. Gerard Butler is amazing in it.
0: Cool. All right. Um. But yeah, it's like, oh, so you're going to go for three running back rosters. So, you know, that's what, the, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. Did you practice that beforehand? Because i really not good. even a little, <laughs> but I had watched it. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because my, uh, you know, I'm taking my daughter through the classics. Yeah. And we did Princess Bride about two weeks ago. So I, I'm pretty good mimic when I hear it recently. Yeah. You know, I I have you know uh, I I have to hear it recently. But did that sound kind of like him? No, yeah, that was really good. Really, oh, good. cool. Inconceivable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Inconceivable.
0: <laughs> and he's got that slight lisp. Yeah. Um, awesome. Th- that that is one of the great movies. Um, but uh, all right, let me find <laughs> something else to <laughs> ask you. Uh, you talked a lot about game theory application. Uh, in your article this week. Um, talk a little, you know, give me the, uh, Reader's Digest version. It, although most people listening to this probably don't know what the Reader's Digest version is. Um, but, but give us, give me a short, um, a short version of what was the key point you were trying to get across to people and whether it played out this week as you had hoped it would.
1: Yeah, it was it was basically that discussion we had, um, you know, a couple of minutes ago surrounding the running back position, because the state of the slate overall, there was not a lot of places to go for guaranteed points. And that is why I was so heavy on a Tampa Bay passing attack is because to me, like that was one of the more clear spots for guaranteed points. And so we also had these five to six pay up running backs who were all in good spots on paper you know, we had Austin Eckler, we had Najee Harris against Detroit. We had um, Dalvin Cook in that same uh, game with Austin Eckler. We had Jonathan Taylor against the Jags. We had all these plays. um, Christian McCaffrey. uh, We saw how that went, you know, 10, 10 catches for 60 something yards, all these plays uh, uh, paying up at the running back position where it created a situation where it was highly likely that we were going to see one pay up running back paired with one pay down running back. So, I was trying to think through the most logical and likeliest uh, highest leverage generating ways to counterbalance that. And that's why I say like bringing this discussion full circle. That's why I say like I was pissed at myself for not considering Romandre more than I was because the three pay down running back because I was basically locking Dearness Johnson and and Mark Ingram this week um, as another spot for guaranteed points.
0: It it really would open up. um, It really, you know, I didn't think of it either. Um, Yeah. I'm you know, but it really would have opened up a very unique roster. Yeah. And like
1: the, the biggest, I guess, idea behind that is the hunt for guaranteed points. And that's why I had Dearness Johnson and Mark Ingram and Tampa Bay passing attack pretty much locked in this week is I wanted to put myself in the best position to get the onesie twosies right and have the guaranteed points already locked up. And then, you know, the running backs came through, uh, for me and Tampa Bay just floundered. And also like Tampa Bay had an out, their passing attack had an out after they scored, uh, with like six minutes left and missed the extra point, which made them only down by four, um, or, turned it from them being down by three to them being down by four. Why was that important? Because if they would have stopped Washington um, on like their own, on Tampa Bay 30 yard line with three and a half minutes left on third and five, uh, they completed a pass Heineke to Terry McLaurin for six yards for the first down. They stop on there. They kick a field goal. Tampa Bay's down by seven with three and a half minutes left. And now you have like the opportunity for Brady To throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns if they march down the field, tie the game, go into overtime and score. Like there was still an out there, which I was, I was going crazy. I was like, when Tampa Bay missed that PAT, I was like, okay, it could happen still. Like let's, this is Tampa Bay we're talking about. And then uh, yeah, they picked up Washington, picked up that third down, but that whole like Brady throwing two picks in the first half and Tampa Bay scoring six points on two field goals in the first half still there were outs for Brady to pass for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Um, and he, you know, he still almost got there. So without looking at the results and just putting my, putting myself back, you know, rewinding two days and putting myself in the position that we were in, I still like Tampa Bay passing attack and the three running back rosters was how I would have approached this slate I just wish I would have considered Ramondre instead of being an either or with Ingram uh, being an and.
0: Well, I looked at who won the slant Josh Allen, the three running backs that you just mentioned, Diggs, Deontay Johnson, Keenan Allen, Cowboys D, and three percent Hunter Henry. So Cowboys that D. was. Um, that was the winner. Um, oh, and so, also,
1: I played Hunter Henry on two of my five rosters because he became, like, the highest floor tight end once uh, Jonu Smith was ruled out late. And so that was another place I got right this week, and it's still just, like, that one being so heavily invested in one spot is bending me over because I got so much right and didn't cash a single line.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, I... Uh, I had a ton of Ingram, and uh, I, I had 64 De, uh, percent Dearness. I had 25 percent Ingram. I had 12 percent Ramondre, and I don't think I got one lineup with all three. Yeah. Um, let me. I I, I got to look right now. I mean, I faded Josh Allen. I don't think that was bad process. Um, you know, he was going to have high ownership and I, I, you know, I thought that it could, you know, really be spread out. Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I could have, you know, you couldn't go over on both Dak and him. Um, so, um, Ramondre. All right. So no, 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 no. It seems like all of them were giving me, um, other um other things yeah my daughter so, just has an amazing ability to text me in the middle of any podcast that i do <laughs> um she takes after her mother in that way um yeah i'm literally and the last i'll i'll leave with this the last kick in the nuts Uh, literally the optimizer gave me all these remandres and each one forced a high, a high, uh, dollar, uh, third option. And the last kick in the balls was CMC. I had 18%. He had 26 points and, and then they basically put them on ice, but, um, I'm getting texted like crazy here. I think we've covered all the key points. Any last thoughts before we debate uh, Goodbye Cruel World? Stick with the process, man. I think this is just a a
1: variant blip, and we just got to stick with it.
0: I agree. All right, guys. Um, Thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed the humor. Um, Everything said in the opening and in... um, doing the the guy from princess bride was an attempted humor and uh it sounds like i actually succeeded for once which is nice um, that'll do it and we will see you next week see ya